the good news is when I sold the business, having created those separate entities, when I sold the business, I could keep the digital toolbox piece. And that's really where I'm having fun right now. Welcome to the Prosperity Perspective by DML, a conversation about how successful business owners invest their hard-earned money to preserve their wealth and what they might have done differently in hindsight. Thank you for joining us today, guys. Today, we are joined by Lorraine Ball. I'm excited for her to share a little bit about her perspective and her experience. And so without further ado, Lorraine, do you want to introduce yourself to the audience and uh, give a little background on yourself? so much. It's so nice to be here. Um, the short answer is I am a little bit of a serial entrepreneur. I've um, owned businesses for 20, 21 years after leaving my corporate gig because the uh, coffee and the bureaucracy kind of wore me out in corporate. Um, today, my latest venture is it's an online uh, training program, Digital Toolbox, and I have a podcast more than a few words. Very cool. Well, as we dive in, uh, the question we always like to ask is, you know, once you started reaching that point of profitability, didn't have to worry about food on the table, roof over the head anymore. You had some real money to spend. How did you think about how to spend that, right? In terms of investing back in the business, investing in the stock market, buying a fancy car, kind of what did you do? So I've never been um, a real fancy car. I do person. I do love a good convertible. But um, uh, for me, and we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording, I actually didn't have a lot of money, but gambled on real estate. Um, I was thinking about moving the business out of my home. I had employees. It was a little bit chaotic. You know, today I probably would, would do it virtually, but that really wasn't necessarily how you did it. 18 years ago. And um, so I was looking at renting and a friend of mine said, hey, well, what do you think about buying a small house? And so that we kicked it around and I'm like, okay, I, I don't have money for a down payment. And I worked with a very creative broker who said, you know, you've got a retirement account from your corporate days. And I'm like, well, yeah, but I can't take that money out because it's I'll pay all sorts of tax penalties. And he says, well, you don't have to take it out, but you can borrow it. And so what I actually did is I borrowed from myself. I took out a loan that was payable back to my retirement account. So it wasn't considered a disbursement. And I bought a small building. We, it was a little house in a residential commercial area. Um, I did it with a partner. and. Uh, Eventually, I bought him out, and um, when it came time to sell the business, which I did, I owned that building separately. And so, as my accountant loved to tell me, businesses come and go, and real estate is forever. Uh, so true. Um, as you were going through that, right, like, how did you determine that spending the money borrowing from yourself and investing in the building versus... I don't know, marketing uh, or, you know, renting. And, you know, how did you come to the decision that, you know, this was the one that made sense for you at the time? Well, um, I, I ran the numbers. I looked at what I was going to pay in rent and figured out that I was going to pay with, with the partner at that point, I was going to pay as much 
in a mortgage payment as I would in rent, but really not anymore. Now, of course, there would be building maintenance and we we kind of, you know, put a little aside for that. But basically, my expenses were going to be the same, but I was going to have an asset at some point. And so just like as an individual, we made a decision to buy a house um, when I, um, I, bought, I bought the first house that I lived in. Um, after we got married, I was 23. And so we made a decision to buy a house instead of rent because, again, we ran the numbers and went, you know, we're going to own this. And uh, there'll come a moment where we won't have a mortgage anymore, and that'll be lovely, and we will own it. So I take it you're a long-term analytical thinker uh, in your approach, uh, which is awesome. I can relate to that. Um, As you were, um, as a business continued to grow, Mm -hmm. right, and you now had, you know, more opportunities to invest or reinvest back into the business or do other things. What was the next step for you, right? So, well, one other thing before we get there, I'm sure the audience wants to know what market and what city uh, did this happen in for you? So um, I'm based in Indianapolis, Indiana, and um, the company, the business that I was running at the time was a, a digital marketing company. We built websites, we did social media marketing. We were um, growing with an industry. You know, when I started the business, it was a traditional agency. Facebook did not exist. Twitter did not exist. There was no Instagram. So small business marketing was a very, very different. It was a different beast. And the business model really changed um, overnight. And uh, so just when I thought I had all the pieces in place, well, (laughs) things kind of changed. uh, for us, the investment, um, uh, as I started to get employees and I was competing with other larger firms, there weren't a lot of things that I could do salary-wise because we, we weren't a huge business, we, we, but I could do a 401k and I could do it for my employees and for me. So I had money from my corporate days. And I had that and I was paying myself back. Um, so there was that. But I um, went ahead and created a simple IRA for my team and for myself and uh, maxed out what I could put there every year. Um, I have a mixture of some very conservative mutual funds and some moderately interesting funds and uh, some stocks and some companies that I just really like. Um, I am not a high-risk investor. And certainly, um, as I've gotten to a point where if I wanted to, I could take the money out, my risk tolerance definitely went this way. Um, You know, uh, I, I'm good with that, though. Um, I invested in the business. Um, it was easy because so much of the investments um, were really in uh, in time. Because you know, what costs what once you have the building, once you have the equipment, you know, yeah, there's a new computer here, there, whatever. 
your biggest expense is marketing. Well, hello, that's what we did. So um, the investment was paying my team to build a new website, manage our content, those kind of things. Oh, and yeah, there were the vacations. <laughs> vacations are always good, right? You got to treat yourself along the way. Yeah, I think um, more, more than, honestly, for me, more than um, worrying. I mean, yes, I took a salary out, but I that that was my big thing was I... Um, I started doing it in about 2009, figured out that what I what really motivated me, what got me out of bed in the morning was figuring out where I was going next. So the pandemic damn near killed me. <laughs> so where are you going next? Um, next up, I'm going back to the East Coast, Philly, New York, D.C. Uh, and then um, I think we're going to do Seattle. This was the trip that was scheduled for May of 2020. So Seattle is next. And then after that, um, the October 2020 trip was Italy. So I'm hoping that by then everything will be like settled down. So that that's the plan. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. Um, when you launched the 401k and you offered that to the employees, did you invest in matching to a certain mm -hmm. uh, component for them and kind of what uh, what drove I did, um, I did a 3% match um, because number that's fairly standard, but if I did a 3% match for them, I could do a 3% match for me. Most of my employees were fresh college grads and some of them got it and some of them really didn't understand the importance. Um, but I my first jobs did not have that option. Um, I worked for my first job. The I don't think they could get away with this now, but back then they were like, well, if you're under 25, you can't participate in the retirement account. So I was doing the same job as people who were 25, 30, 35, 40, but I had three years with them and could never put any money away. And then I had a job that didn't have a retirement account. So I, I spent a lot of time once I hit 30 playing catch up. I didn't want the people that worked for me to do that. So even if they didn't think they needed a 401k, they got the mom lecture and they got one. <laughs> uh, you took care of them. Uh, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Looking back, is there anything you would do differently in how you spent your money or invested? There was a, an option at one point. Um, a friend of mine was getting out of the business and wanted to sell his company. And we talked about it. And I think that might have that might have accelerated my growth a little bit. Uh, would have been a little bit of pain, but it wouldn't have been, it wasn't a huge investment because it really wasn't, there wasn't a lot there, but there was an interesting business model there. The good news is in talking to him uh, and getting a chance to really dig in and see how he ran his business, I learned a few things. So, you know, it was a complete waste. Um, but I think maybe that that might have been um, an interesting opportunity. One of the things I'm glad I didn't do was my partner. Remember I said I bought the building with a partner? Right around the corner, there was a bigger building that went up for sale. And we hadn't been in the space very long. And my partner was like, oh, 
we should do this. I'm like, we have a building. Yeah, but we can sell this and we can buy that one and he, and, and we can rent it. There's extra space. It's going to be great. And we went back and forth and I just put my foot down and said, no, I don't want to be a landlord. Um, I'm fine where we are. Fast forward 18 months, his business went belly up and I had to buy him out. And I was really glad that I bought him out of the small building and not the large one. For sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, Worked out well for you, it seems. Mm -hmm. Which is great. Um, What's the most exciting thing that you're working on these days? I am, I'm really enjoying the uh, online training. When I built my business originally, one of the things that was my lead generation piece was always, I would offer classes. I like teaching. I like training. I'm good at it. It's easy. It's fun. And I set it up as a separate company about 18 months before I sold, because we also did a conference as part of it. And I wanted to keep those two entities separate. Um, I wanted to have some protection for for round peg if the conference didn't do well, if something happened there. But also, if I kept them separate, I could have other marketing companies participate and co-sponsor with me. They wouldn't do it if it was around, if it was just owned by my agency. Well, the good news is when I sold the business, having created those separate entities, when I sold the business, I could keep the digital toolbox piece. And that's really where I'm having fun right now. Um, I like the content development. I've sold the courses. I'm licensing the classes to some people. I've got some big associations that are buying them. And then I also sell subscriptions to individual businesses. And it's fun. What's the most in-demand class or the you know topic that you're enjoying? I'm assuming creating more content, right? Uh, that's on the horizon that really has you excited. The, um, the course that is definitely the one that, and it surprised me. I didn't think this one would be as popular as some of the others, but it's called content-based SEO. And it comes from my core belief that most companies do SEO wrong. And they obsess about keywords and they obsess about Google. And the bottom line is, that Google doesn't write us checks, people do. And so um, taking an approach to SEO that really starts and ends with the customer, Google will pay attention, they'll catch up, Uh, you'll do way better. And so that's the course that I'm really having a lot of fun with. That's the one that seems to be in, in, in demand the most both from individuals and again, from associations that are like, we, we wanna offer this class to our members. I presume the the key components of that are creating engaging content that's adding value to whoever the target audience is instead of trying to jerry-rig it with keywords. It absolutely is. It's really about asking, uh, answering the questions. And so the game becomes figuring out what are the questions that people are asking when they go to Google. And, you know, they, Google will actually tell you if you pay attention. Because you can, you type in a question and they'll go, oh, you are interested in that question? People also asked. And now you have 25 questions and that's 25 blog posts, videos, podcasts, you name it. It's all there. 
And each piece of content that you create, again, it adds value. It's answering a real question. Um, the fun thing is sometimes taking those questions and going to somebody's website and going, well, this is an important question. And the person's like, oh, yeah, I get asked it all the time. And then you take that question and you paste it into the search bar on their website and nothing comes up. Um, what's the most powerful marketing tool that you've seen, either a third party you know, app or an aggregator or CRM or, you know, piece for small businesses that you would say, hey, take your strategy. Plus, this has got to be in the foundational element of what you're building. And I'm pausing not because I can't think of one, but because I'm trying, I'm running through my, my toolkit. I will tell you one of the things I really like right now is a social media scheduling tool called Publer, P-U-B-L-E-R. It's like Hootsuite and um, Social Mention and, and Buffer and a dozen other products out there. What I really like about Publer, what I think they have done better than anybody else, is every time a new software product or a new social platform comes along, they integrate with it. This was the first product I found that I can schedule Facebook pages and, and groups. LinkedIn, profile and pages, Instagram, TikTok. They just added TikTok, Pinterest, um, and YouTube. And I'm sure there's something else I'm forgetting. But when I was running the agency and I was managing accounts for multiple clients, there was always a platform that we had to go in and do manually because you couldn't schedule. So, um, I would really recommend Publer. I would definitely recommend checking it out um, and compare it to whatever you're using. And the other thing I really like about it is it's um, very inexpensive compared to a lot of the other tools. So for solopreneurs and business owners, um, you know, who are doing a lot of this themselves, I love, love that. So this would be primarily for people who have content calendar, I would imagine, and uh, working to figure out how that all fits in when they want to push, what that integration strategy looks like, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you still have to, you still have to go to the platforms to engage. You still have to go to the platforms if you're going to run advertising, but um, I'm going on vacation in the month of April. Okay. I have pre-recorded all my podcasts. I'm working on pre-recording all my Facebook lives. I'll be done with that this week. I have pre-scheduled my newsletters and my social media. So all of that is going to run. I'll hop on once or twice while I'm traveling. But remember I said earlier that what I like is travel. Yeah. So um, I really like Publer because it allows me to create the illusion of intimacy. It allows me to maintain visibility. And then I can be sitting in the car at an airport, hop on, do a little bit of engagement and maintain a very high level of social presence without making myself crazy time-wise. Nice. Um... You mentioned the newsletters. Do you use Publer to schedule those out as well? Is it integrated into, or is that something you're using? No, I, uh, I'm i an old constant contact girl. 
I get there's MailChimp. Yeah, I mean, the list goes on and on. I've used Constant Contact since November of 2002. I have people on my email list who have been getting email newsletters from me since 2002. It's kind of staggering. It's crazy. I mean, I've had a lot of fallout along the way. Um, I think every business should have an email marketing strategy. I know, blah, blah, blah. I hate email, blah, 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 blah. Here's the deal. When you build that list right, people pay attention and they open your emails. Well, build the list and deliver good content. Like I said, I have people on my list who have been reading my newsletters for 20 years. I still have a 40% open rate. That's impressive. That's very impressive. Yeah. I, I get if you don't open it, I get rid of you. I mean, I I send you an email, it's like, hey, you haven't opened anything in six months. Do you want out? And some people drop out, and some people are like, oh no, no, keep me on your list. And then I look at them again in six months. And if they still haven't opened anything, I take them off because they don't want to hear from me. And I don't, I, I don't unsubscribe them. So if they ever opt back in, that's great. But I would rather talk to 3,000 people who are interested than, than fool myself into thinking there's real value in an email list with 10,000 names when 8,000 don't ever open it. But I can sell you a list of 10,000 names for $500. It yes, you can. And, you know, I, um, I, uh, uh, not only um, can I buy it, but I could also just go out into the parking lot, take $500 and light it on fire. Because I think I would get more attention from the fire that's out in the parking lot. That's so true. So yeah, true. I, I mean, the, the thing is that you can't, you can't scrape email addresses. You can't buy lists because those people don't want to hear from you. And you're not that interesting. Not you personally. You're very interesting. But just, but just in general. I mean, the reality is spend your time talking to the people who want to hear from you. Yeah. And it goes back to the core audience, which I'm sure is part of the training we were talking about earlier, right? And knowing, yeah. knowing who the audience is and what the message is and creating relevant content, right? Yeah. So uh, as we're wrapping up here, Lorraine, what, what's the best way for the audience to be able to get a hold of you? So the easiest way is if um, find look for me on LinkedIn, Lorraine Ball. Tell me that you heard me here and that you enjoyed our, my conversation on the Prosperity Podcast. And um, I'd love to connect. You can look for my podcast more than a few words wherever you listen to podcasts and check out digitaltoolbox.club. Awesome. Appreciate the time today, Lorraine. This was fun. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on The Prosperity Perspective. If you'd like to subscribe to our podcast, please head over to theprosperityperspective.com where you can hear from other successful business owners on their approach to investments. On our website, you'll be able to learn more about how DML Capital currently helps other business owners, like yourself, diversify their investments and grow their wealth. Take our short quiz to see if you're ready to take the next steps toward your financial success. 